So the battle to stay encouraged is being waged in our thought life, in our minds. It's what am I allowing myself to think? And, and if the Bible instructs me to take every thought captive, to make it obey Christ, then that means I must be responsible for every thought that I allow into my head. When thoughts are whispered in that come from outside, that come from the enemy, you actually have the capacity by the power of Christ in you to take that thought, bind it up, and make it obey Christ. Welcome, friends, to the Small Town Summit podcast. Our heart and our aim is to encourage and equip you as you serve Jesus faithfully in small places. And I'm excited for today's podcast for two reasons. One, the topic is staying encouraged in small places. And I think that that applies to all of us. All of us need to be encouraged and to stay encouraged. Uh, The battle is fierce and discouragement is real and burnout is real. And I'm also excited because the guest on today's show is my longest time friend and buddy, Ben Preston. Ben serves as lead pastor of New King Church in Burlington, Vermont. But before you shut this off, he was a small town pastor for years in Wilmington, Vermont, and has much wisdom for us around this topic. I hope that you're encouraged by this conversation with my dear friend, Ben Preston. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, brother. It's good to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, for everybody who may not know, um, and I don't know, I don't want them to judge you too early by knowing that we're such good friends, but Ben Preston and I have been the closest of friends for probably 15 years now, maybe more. Um, Mm. And so uh, when I say I'm excited to have this man on the podcast, I mean it with utmost sincerity. Nobody's been a greater encouragement to my walk with Jesus outside of my family than Ben. So it's a blessing to have you, man. So, man, I know you, uh, but a lot of these people don't. So tell us a little bit about your calling to Christ and uh, your Mm -hmm. calling to ministry, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, man, I, I came to Jesus in college right before we met. And uh, that was my junior year of college. I, I grew up in the church, um, in a, in a Baptist church as a young child. And, um, so I, I understood the ins and outs of the gospel, but it was an intellectual and, um, uh, living in sin and, and the Lord opened my eyes. He called me to himself to put conviction heavy on me to the point I couldn't sleep at night and, um, made me miserable in my sin. And so I, I began to look for him and praise God for, for what he put in me as a child. I went to the, to the word to find out what was true. And it was, uh, over the, the course of a year of digging and studying, trying to understand the gospel. And suddenly the lights turned on, you know, and I saw, I saw the, the truth of my, my lost state and my, my need for, for forgiveness and redemption. And I threw up my hands and I surrendered my life to the Lord and everything changed. I mean, still, still had struggles, but everything changed, you know, foundationally for me. 
And it wasn't long after that, I started to feel a call to ministry, had a, had a dream about preaching. And this it was very odd for me to have that kind of a dream. And at the time I was terrified of public speaking. I was taking a public speaking class in college and hated it. I hated every second of it, dreaded every speech. And then I, then I had this very, very vivid dream where I was preaching to this crowd of people and, and was comfortable and actually like enjoying what I was doing. And I woke up from that dream and I thought, Whoa, that was, uh, that was odd. And immediately, you know, began to feel like the Lord was trying to, to tell me something. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, yeah, he started calling me in those early days in college. So fast forward a few years. So you had some ministry opportunities, you were doing bivocational stuff, and then the Lord had a massive change of plans in that 2010 time frame. Yeah, 2010 is, is when the Lord called me. I, I built houses for a few years, the market crashed in 2008, and then I became a career firefighter and outside of Atlanta. I remember like one of the first couple of weeks um, that I was at my station, I had fought my first fire and, and experienced kind of the glory of, of firefighting. You know, I remember coming back from a call, I was in all my like attire and I was walking through the station and I was thinking, this job is awesome. <laughs> I, I like this job. And I remember where I was, I was walking from the kitchen into like the bunk room and the Lord just spoke to me so clearly interrupted my the little conversation I was having with myself and said, don't get too comfortable. Hmm. And, uh, and I knew immediately what that meant. Um, I knew, I know, you know, from those early days, I knew I was being called into ministry. I just didn't know when. And um, and he'd been preparing me and, and putting things into me, but, but I knew it wasn't going to be long. And so about a year later, we started praying about planting a church. We felt like that was the direction the Lord was calling. And um, my wife and I started praying about planting a church in Athens, Georgia, where we went to the University of Georgia, where we both came to know Christ. And so there's a lot, you know, it was a special place for us. And we were thinking maybe we'll go there. That was about an hour from home. Felt comfortable, you know, but then we decided to surrender and, and say, okay, wait a second, Lord, maybe you have a plan that's totally different than what we have imagined. So the, yeah, the, the call started there. We, we got on our knees and said, Lord, we surrender to go wherever you want us to go. And uh, while we were praying, the Lord put Vermont into my mind. I don't know how to, how much to get into this story, but, um, so we did some research. We found out Vermont was the least church state in America. And, uh, and then fast forward another year, almost December of 2010. And, uh, and I was at the fire station one night. We're still not sure where we would go exactly. And, uh, and, and I was reading in, Psalm 32, eight, which says, I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you and the Lord. And I, and I stopped and said, Lord, thank you for this promise 
that's here in the scriptures that you're going to counsel us in, in the way to go. And, and he spoke again very clearly. And he said, Wilmington, you know, so basically um, I told my wife, I called my wife and told her I knew where we were going. And I asked her to pray and, and asked the Lord to speak to her as well. And I told her the verse Psalm 32, eight. And, um, and then I said, we'll talk again in the morning. You know, I spent the night at the station the next morning when I got home, um, I asked Tiffany, I said, did you have a chance to pray? Did, did you feel like the Lord said anything? She said, yeah, I thought so, but I'm not sure. You know, I said, what'd you think? She said, I, I thought I heard Wilmington. And so the first place that, that we went was a small rural town in Southern Vermont called Wilmington. And we planted there, um, 2012. So you're in Burlington now. A lot of people mm -hmm. might hear if, if they're small town ministry and there's sort of this weird dynamic where people try to compare house, you know, who's the smallest. And so <laughs> if they hear you from Burlington, they might turn this off, but, uh, he, you ministered in small town, Wilmington town of 1700 people at the time. And so you know of what you speak as mm. we get into this idea of battling discouragement or staying encouraged in ministry. And I want to move to that mm. idea. You just recently started this podcast for your church, New King mm. Church in Burlington, because you wanted more ways of being able to shepherd the flock, more ways of being able to encourage them in their joy in the faith. And so you've titled it For Your Joy with the idea of the whole reason that Paul stuck around in life and in ministry was to encourage people and for their joy and their progress in the faith subtitled restoring faith in a world of discouragement. Mm -hmm. I want to dive into this idea with you a little bit because it's important for the church, but also really important for people who are ministering in the church or who are pastors. This touches everybody. So man, why, why this topic and, Tell us a little bit about what the Lord's been teaching you, showing you about the nature of encouragement. Why is it so important? Yeah. Well, I think in the sense that the most important thing about our lives is that we maintain our faith, right? Like when Peter's about to go through his darkest trial ever, like his hardest trial, his, his, the dark night of the soul. The Lord says to, to him, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, mm -hmm. right? Satan's going to sift you like wheat, but here's the thing. I've prayed for your faith to stay intact. It's going to take a beating, but it's going to stay intact. At the end of the day, that's the number one. Th that's what Jesus was praying for Peter, because that is the most important thing is that at the, at the end of this life, we still have our faith. We fight the good fight to the end. And this idea of encouragement is so crucial because what we're talking about is maintaining our faith. I don't know. I don't know about those that are listening. I know for me, it was a while before I, I picked up on how dangerous discouragement is, you know, for for a long time, I, I really didn't think a whole lot of it. If I was feeling discouraged, I just thought it is what it is. It's part of life. I just kind of accepted it, you know, and I, and I see when I read the scriptures that 
you can't have that posture towards discouragement. You have to have a fighter's posture. You have to, you've got to recognize every bit of discouragement as deadly serious. I came across this little quote from a guy out in California. Um, I'm not actually familiar with him, but his name's Ray Johnson. And, and there's this quote by him. He says, he says a huge, he's a, he's a pastor. I can't remember if I mentioned that. He says a huge life principle I have learned the hard way is that discouragement precedes destruction. And I thought, man, how right he is <laughs> when the enemy wants to take us out. He brings discouragement in first. He try, he's, his goal is to undermine our faith, right? And, and to shake our faith. You know, I, I just have a theory here that when you read about pastors having a moral failure, it, it didn't start with the temptation of adultery. It started way back before that with their faith being weakened. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why... Um, Ray Johnson goes on to say that the number one thing that a pastor must do is remain encouraged because you can't encourage your people's faith. You can't help their faith remain strong and steadfast and immovable. If your own faith is wavering, if your own confidence in God is wavering, right? Yeah. And it's a whole instruction from the Lord that is not an option for us. We talk about being encouraged it's a lot about being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might of like having a strong faith. And we're called to encourage one another and build each other up. Mm -hmm. And I love and appreciate this connection between encouragement and faith that Mm -hmm. it's not just encouragement in general, but in, but strengthening people by building up their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's right. And and who he is and what he's doing, his sufficiency, his worth, Mm -hmm so that our hearts are satisfied in him and that our joy is full in him. And we're, that doesn't stay stoked without being stoked by other people, by being stoked by other sources, Mm -hmm. but it has to do with, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Mm -hmm. That's right. So when, when I talk about encouragement, what I'm thinking about is inspiring a greater confidence in God. When I give way to anxiety, what I'm, I'm losing confidence in an all knowing, all powerful and good God Mm -hmm. who's in control of everything. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And if I, if I'm anxious, I'm losing sight of that. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the foundation that you stand upon as you, as you say, I won't let my heart be troubled. I believe in God. He's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's obviously like a clinical depression and some other things that is not as easy as just sticking a bandaid on it. But I think that has become so prevalent that I think sometimes people can they can let a lot of discouragement go unchecked a lot of Mm. stuff that where Jesus speaks directly into Mm. their anxieties. And he says, don't let that happen. Don't, 
look to me or Paul saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's an act of faith. Yeah, right. Exactly. One of the things I tell my kids, which I don't think anyone ever told me is you're not a victim to your thoughts. You're actually expected to be in control of them. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, this is how spiritual warfare is waged. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? The people that are listening to this podcast probably know the battle is being waged in our thought life, in our minds, right? So the battle to stay encouraged is, is there. It's what am I allowing myself to think? And, and if the Bible instructs me to take every thought captive to make it obey Christ, then that means I must be responsible for every thought that I allow into my head. I tell my kids this, you're not a victim to your thoughts. You're in control of your thoughts. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And if, and if you hear when thoughts are whispered in that come from outside, that come from the enemy, you actually have the, the capacity in the power by the power of Christ in you to take that thought, bind it up and make it obey Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really where, where we've got to fight this. I, I, I tell our church, be thoughtful about your thoughts. In other words, many times we're unaware of the conversation that's going on inside our heads. We don't ever stop and take inventory. So, you know, I challenge our folks, take inventory of what you're thinking. Just take one day and notice everything that you are thinking about. Because according to scripture, according to what I just read, take every thought captive. There are no inconsequential thoughts. Thoughts actually bear fruit. They yield, right? A thought is a seed that's going to produce something. It's going to produce an emotion, an action, eventually your character, right? And that's why we're also told that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the spirit are setting their minds on the things of the spirit. So good, man. And I think for pastors and ministry leaders or people that are lay leaders in the church, it's so easy to kind of live in no man's land where you think, well, I'm not worrying about my life, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear. Jesus says, if you can't even add a single hour to your lifespan, something that easy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? What, What are you, what are you worrying about? You can't even do this simple thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But I think for ministry, what that looks like is looking at the lack of fruit, looking at the slow pace of ministry, looking at prayers not answered in the time or the way that we want them to. Again, Mm. that can lead to a discouragement that may be disconnected from anxiety, we think to some extent. But Mm. by the same token, we can't produce any of those things. And I think there's a, I've experienced this. There's like this panicky place that feels a little bit trapped, like Jeremiah talks about, right? It's like, you've trapped me. You've called me into this thing that's so terrible uh, because Mm. you told me to do this thing, but nobody's responding. So what do I do with that? So 
like if you just kind of accept that as part of pastoral ministry or part of ministry, that's just, we've just learned to live with discouragement and maybe it's just part of the lot. Is it okay for people just to be content to live in that space? No way. No, because, because God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in them, right? Mm -hmm. As, as we enjoy God, he is put on display. You know, I would, what I would say to pastors who are in that spot is I would say, do what David did in first Samuel 30. He encouraged himself in the Lord mm-hmm. or, or some, or the ESV, I think says strengthened himself in the Lord. You talk about feeling stuck in, in between a rock and a hard place, right? I mean, their people have been kidnapped and his soldiers want to stone him. <laughs> like it's a tough spot. It's a loose lose. It feels like. Yeah. That's what sounds worse than getting a criticizing email almost. <laughs> almost. Right. Yeah. And he, and he faced that and, and he thought, man, the first thing I need to do is strengthen myself in the Lord. I need to encourage myself in the Lord right now. I can't even begin to come up with a plan of action until I've encouraged myself in the Lord. And I, I think that needs to be our approach as pastors. Like I can't even do the next thing, the next meeting or the next counseling session or the next sermon until, until I've encouraged myself in the Lord. I mean, we're commanded to rejoice always, right? Multiple times. Even when sorrowful, we're always rejoicing. Rejoicing is the continual emotion, right? Sorrowful might comes and goes, but rejoicing is always. If we're not able to enjoy the Lord, we're going to be weak ministers because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm-hmm. It says in Nehemiah. So we, we've got to, we got to recognize this as being the front lines of the, of, of all of ministry, honestly. I mean, this is, I think the front front lines for, for every believer is where am I finding my joy and my satisfaction? What am I setting my hope on? Right. All of this is related to encouragement just for me to fight the fight of the faith just as a believer, forget being a pastor, just to get to the finish line with my faith intact. This is of utmost importance. Because you see that endurance and encouragement are so closely related. That's right. right? In the scriptures, like these, the God of endurance and encouragement. That's why we have the scriptures for both. But I've heard you say, I mean, from a discipleship group leader to a pastor and kind of everybody in between, or even in your home life, that Mm -hmm. encouragement and discouragement both are contagious. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, talk about that as a pastor, like if a pastor is feeling discouraged then what's the effect on, on the flock, on the culture, right? How does he overcome that rather than be like, hear that and just feel like, Oh, guilty. But, but encouraging yourself in God, isn't just about you and Jesus being enough. Isn't even just about us. That's right. Right. So, right. That, and that's referring back to, I think about the, the classic example of that is in numbers 13 and 14, when the spies come back from spying out the promised land and 10 spies come back with a discouraging report. 
two spies come back with an encouraging faith-filled report. And they've, they've seen the same things. They saw the same land. They saw the same giants. They saw the same fortified cities. But two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, saw that through the lens of faith. They believed the promise of God. They believed, they saw it that in a way that considered God. And then the 10 spies saw that in a way that removed God from the equation. And, and so those 10 spies come back with a discouraging report. We can't do this. And, and that was contagious. That spreads to the entire nation of Israel. It says they couldn't even sleep that night. They were so afraid. And then they begin to grumble and complain. It would have been better. They said it would have been better if we would have just died in the wilderness than to have to do this. Right. And so we see that, yeah, it, it's incredibly contagious. Discouragement is, is contagious. And so it says in the Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And obviously we know that gets twisted and turned into word of faith stuff where you speak over your finances and you speak over your health and all that stuff. Yeah. What it really means is, <laughs> what it really means is your words have the ability to point people to the God who can give them life or your words have the ability to steer people away from the God who can give them life. Right. Our words are that powerful. I mean, I think this sounds maybe very, very elementary, but it's important that we just make this as simple as possible. Recognize that encouragement and discouragement spreads through words. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So going back to what you just said, why is this so important as a, as a pastor or discipleship leader? Well, if your heart is discouraged and faithless, then no matter how hard you try to fake it, what's going to come out of your heart are faithless, discouraging words that do not build up, that do not strengthen, that do not build people's confidence in in the Lord. But if you're encouraged in the Lord and full of faith and confidence, then the words that come from your heart out of your mouth are going to be words that, that instill faith and confidence in God. And it points people to, if you can put on display for people a faith in God, even when I don't feel like it, like David does, Then it's Mm -hmm. saying, look, I'm encouraging you guys by my faith, even though I'm not particularly feeling encouraged myself, but I'm looking Mm -hmm. to the Lord. And so it, it rubs off on each other that way. Mm -hmm. I want to get into how to fight for joy, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. to encourage one another. Um, And I was thinking about this. I mean, you want to find the fastest way for pastors to actually share this podcast episode. If I, if I just stop and take a moment to tell people, encourage your pastors, mm. like they don't have encouragement coming from, it's like a one-way street. Mm. So often in, in my experience, and even when pastors get together, there's a lot of fellowship around the rich gospel and the fellowship that we have in Jesus, but it takes intentionality and almost practice to get great at finding specific ways to build people up in their Mm -hmm. faith, specific ways 
that you can encourage them and point them to Jesus that are tailored and specific to them. And so I would encourage people listening. If you're not a pastor, encourage your pastors and for pastors, encourage your brothers, right? Mm -hmm. It, uh, this is what Jesus tells Peter, uh, look, I've prayed for your faith. And then after you've turned, go and strengthen your brothers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Paul needed Barnabas, right? Son of encouragement. Here he is about to, <laughs> he's about to endure incredible hardship for the sake of the gospel. So what does God give him? Barnabas. <laughs> mm -hmm. Man, we, everybody needs Barnabases in their life. And I think part of how to fight in the midst of this is you can't always control whether or not you have a Barnabas, but mm -hmm. you can be a Barnabas. That's right. And I think that that will be contagious. So man, what, what kind of counsel or insight would you give in terms of how to fight? You talked about taking thoughts captive by the word mm -hmm. of God. How can we fight for being obedient to the Lord mm -hmm. in this and being strong in him and building one another up and encouraging each other? Yeah. So I want to build out that first piece a little bit bigger. Um, first of all, you must fight to stay encouraged in order to be an encourager. And I would say the first piece of that is being thoughtful about your thoughts, taking an inventory about the things that you're allowing yourself to think, taking every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Beyond that also, I would say, pay, pay really close attention to the things you're allowing into your mind from outside. Like, where are you getting your news? You know, what, what are you listening to on the radio? Don't just turn the radio on and pay no attention as you're just driving down the road. I mean, we're, we're being told a story. When we scroll through our social media feeds, we're being told, we're being given a narrative, a worldview. Are we being thoughtful about that? Are, are we filtering that? I mean, it's just like the Israelites, as they're being told two competing narratives about the same situation. One narrative that considers God, one narrative that takes God out of the picture. Mm -hmm. We're constantly being told a story from whether that's somebody we work with, somebody that in our own home, somebody that uh, is on our board or whatever, you know, on the news, on our social media, we're being told stories. So I would challenge, I would say, man, it's so important that we ask ourselves the question with every conversation, with every news story, with every, every time we're processing information, what's the story I'm being told? And does this story take into consideration an all-knowing, all-powerful, good God? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't take him into consideration, somebody's talking to me about the pandemic, or somebody's talking to me about vaccines, or somebody's talking to me about the political divisions, or whatever it is that they're talking to me about, are they taking an all-knowing, all-powerful, good God into perspective or not, into consideration or not? If they're not, I need to toss that out, right? Because that's a wrong narrative I'm being fed. Mm -hmm. So this is the first place. I, I think pastors need to be keenly aware of their own thoughts and the inputs that they're allowing into their minds. Um, and then I would say, like you said, I would say now, then I would say now seek out encouragers, however you can 
right? That find the encouragers in your church. They don't have to be elders. They don't have to be it. it, it just find the encouragers and, and get around them, right? Other pastors that, you know, get phone calls with those, those that are encouraged. It, it is actually a spiritual gift. Um, and so not everybody has it to the same degree. We should all be striving to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so find those, those people, accept- people with, look for the people that have a lot of people hanging around their well. <laughs> like, how do you find somebody with a gift of encouragement? You know, like somebody where people are constantly hanging around them. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I think the, the final piece is like you said, as I'm seeking to encourage myself in the Lord and I'm doing everything I can to, to guard my own, you know, faith. Now I want to seek to be an encourager. And if I'm a pastor, I have the opportunity to impact the culture of my church. And actually what I want for my church is that my church becomes a community of encouragement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That might take some time, right? But don't, but don't grow weary in fighting for that. Uh, When I think about Colossians chapter three, I mean, listen to this. I was just recently looking at this. Tell me if this doesn't sound like an encouraging community. So Colossians 3, this is the setting is what life ought to look like in the community of believers. And we're to put away wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, not lie to one another, put on the new self as being renewed in the renewed after the image of its creator. We're to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bear with one another, forgiving one another. And then he gets on and he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I, and I asked my, I paused and just asked myself the question, does that not sound like an encouraging community to be a part of mm-hmm. a, a place where the whole body is allowing the peace of Christ to rule in their hearts, not anxiety to rule, but the peace of Christ with the thankfulness in their hearts. They're letting the word of Christ dwell in them so richly that it's spilling out to others to teach the, to teach them and admonish them. They're singing Psalms. It's, it's, it's this worshipful community. And, and, you know, pastors may be listening to that and thinking, man, my church is a far cry from that right now. But, but I would just say, keep it in view, right? This is the goal and the culture of your church ultimately comes down. It trickles down from you. What's the culture in your home? If you want an encouraging church community, then start. We're trying to build an encouraging home, right? Yeah, that's good. And I'm, I'm just reminded the the contrast in Hebrews when he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, which part A of that is like every pastor's favorite. Like, man, we, you guys, you're, you're neglecting to meet together, but the opposite of not meeting is not meeting in that verse. The opposite is, but encourage one another. So the assumption is if you're getting together as believers, the purpose of it is going to be Mm -hmm. to encourage one another and to build each other up. And so I'd say if you're not a pastor or even for pastors, this should shape the way that we walk into the assembly Mm -hmm. where 
I'm not just only looking to hear from God and I'm not only looking to worship God. That's the primary aim. But I'm also going in with my eyes open to see who can I encourage and build up mm-hmm. in their faith in Jesus today. That's not just a Sunday thing. That's a, it's a life thing. But we have to start building that culture with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get one more uh, tip from you. You probably didn't include this as bonus material, but you do this. And so I want you to speak to it a little bit. But I think a lot of times we get discouraged because we forget that we're dust. Mm. Right? We, we're finite. Mm-hmm. And we try to be and do and control more than we can. Mm-hmm. And you have done a phenomenal job even recently of leading yourself better, pursuing rest and margin. So can you speak a, a bit about the connection between staying encouraged in Jesus and even something as practical as making sure that you're not just crowding the margins of your life out and thinking that you can achieve fruit or mm-hmm. do all these things without rest like God? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, man, I, I think oftentimes when our schedules are so busy that there's no margin anymore and we're rushing from one thing to another, that's because we think that we are God in a sense, that we have that we're limitless beings. Um, or we either think that we're limitless um, or that we're indispensable. Ultimately, to be able to say no to some things and to be able to build margin into your life, you've got to believe that God could do all of this without you. So I think that's a big part of it, right? We got to start there that I'm a finite being. I have limits and and it honors God when I live, when I live as though I actually have limits. I find that, you know, God has connected my physical body with my spiritual life. (laughs) And I find that when I'm sleeping better, I also am more encouraged, you know, or I find that when I'm active, I I noticed this about myself uh, a few years back that whenever I go several days without moving my body, without exercising in some way, I am more prone to discouragement. And, in, and instead of like being mad about that and fighting that, I think, you know, my approach is, okay, God, if that's how you've made me, I'm going to try and move my body at least every other day or so um, and, and get some activity in, you know, so that's not, so I'm not working so hard to stay encouraged. Um, you know, Charles Spurgeon talked about that, about, about how important it was that, that he go on walks and get get fresh air and be out in nature. John Piper's talked about this, how important he's found going on runs and exercising regularly was for his uh, joy, for his encouragement. I think that that connectedness between just your, your physical body Mm -hmm. and our finitude and Mm -hmm. our spirits is so important because I find I get most discouraged at the end of a long day. And I realize mm-hmm. I need to not evaluate life or ministry or anything right now. I need to go to bed and then we'll revisit yeah. this in the morning. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of times I've gotten close to quitting everything at, yeah. you know, nine or 10 at night and just realized yeah. I need a good night's sleep. 
and I need to leave this in Jesus's hands. And uh, that's the best way to sleep like a baby. I mean, the whole world can be falling apart and you say, God, I'm going to live this parable of death. I'm going to go to bed, put this in your hands. You don't sleep and your mercies will be new tomorrow morning. And I think not resting and the unbelief in us that feels like everything's on our shoulders is connected. So Mm -hmm. we need, we, we need faith that he's good, that he's in control, that this isn't all on me, that I can take a break. And at the end of the day, a sovereign and good God is going to equip us for the work of ministry. And he's sufficient for Mm -hmm. whatever he ordains. And we're, unworthy servants who are content to have gotten to serve him in any way. That's right. Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect God, man, apparently embraced his human limitations. And what I, what I mean is when he felt like he had to take a nap, apparently he took a nap, like strong one, like a strong nap, right? (laughs) When he felt like he needed to sit by a well, and rest because he was weary from a journey. He sent the disciples to go do the food run. And, and, you know, that turned out to be an incredible ministry opportunity. It turns out. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that what we would find is that some of our best ministry opportunities would come to us. If we would just embrace our physical limitations and rest when we're supposed to rest mm-hmm. um, and not think that we're better, that we're better than mm-hmm. God in the flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Rest is war. Yeah. You say, man, as a means of fighting, I'm going to rest as a practice of casting my cares on the Lord because he cares for me. Mm -hmm. And um, he he says that, and you know, the the disciples are weary from ministry and he says, come away and rest for a while. Mm -hmm. And then once they do, everybody follows them and he takes their lunch and multiplies it. But it's still like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even in the rest he's gonna he's gonna ask for something then he'll give you back baskets full of satisfaction right. and joy so mm-hmm. that's yeah. right thanks for this mm-hmm. conversation man and I, you have been uh, a barnabas to me uh all mm-hmm. through so i'm grateful for you anything that you would give as sort of a parting word of encouragement people who listen to this are probably gonna laugh because i think i say encouragement i hope people don't do like one of those counters to say how many times does he say we exist to encourage or equip or um, but, but hopefully we're highlighting it. It's so important. It's half of the battle is mm-hmm. being strong in the Lord, strengthening yourself in God, finding mm-hmm. other people who can strengthen your soul in God. So any parting word of encouragement to put courage in uh, mm-hmm. people listening to this episode. Yeah. What comes, what comes to mind immediately is that the kingdom of heaven is characterized by righteousness and peace and joy. And if that's true, then when I am experiencing seeking the kingdom here, those are the things that are going to be growing in my life, right? The righteousness of Christ is going to be growing in my life and be growing in sanctification. The peace that Jesus has promised that he's given to us, not as the world gives, do I give, but my peace. He's, he's leaving the disciples with this and he leaves us with this. My peace I give to you. Mm-hmm. And joy, the second 
fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, these are the things that are going to be growing in our lives. And it's, um, and it is war. I mean, the enemy wants to rob us of our joy in the Lord because he knows that when our joy in the Lord is strong, we are strong. Nothing can shake us. I mean, you, you look at the examples of some of the persecuted church, you read their stories, man, it's, it's boggles the mind, the joy that they can have in the midst of suffering. The enemy wants nothing more than to rob us of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So I would just say, um, rest in the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Rest in the fact that God is called the God of endurance and encouragement. It's, it's rooted in the very nature of God. Um, in, in Romans 15, 13, he's called the God of hope. So I think I would, I would leave our listeners with this from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer and a good place to end. Thanks so Mm. much, man. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, So rich, man. That is our heart and our prayer is that this podcast, not just today, but always would be a source of encouragement and strength for you. And yes, that the God of endurance and encouragement would strengthen your hearts in the gospel and would cause you to look up again, to look to Jesus and to draw strength from him, to be strong in him and in the strength of his might. He is faithful who has called us and he will bring to pass every work of resolve, every desire for good that he gives us. Uh, He is on his throne and he is working. He is using you and he's not done with us. So let's stay faithful as servants who don't need to be ashamed when we see him at his coming. May the Lord bless you and use his word and his church to keep you encouraged as you serve him where you are. God bless you.